10 o'clock. It's 10 o'clock. All right, it's time for us to start. And we're glad to have everybody with us. We've had about 30 or more every single day, and that's just, that's just impressive. And I'm real thankful all of you came. That just means a lot to me. When I first pitched this to the elders, they said, well, I don't know what will get to come. I said, well, let's just do it. So, <laughs> and so uh, it just shows a lot of interest. And I, I really appreciate everyone coming out every day and doing this. I love starting the days this way. I mean, it just kind of gets your mind thinking about spiritual things. And it helps you so much. And it just shows you lots of things. This is the last class. I go home tomorrow. But a couple things uh, I hope you see from this. First of all, I hope you've seen uh, how to look at the Gospels. Sometimes we read them so fast, and we just need to see that there's layers and layers. There's always layers. And every time you go back to these stories, you'll go back and see more things and more things. And that's, uh, that's just a wonderful, if you've read any of my writings, that's, you know, people say, how do you see that? Well, it's just, they're just layers. And that's how you can do these things. But more than anything else, I hope this class has impressed you with Jesus. That's what this is all about. Just seeing Jesus. His compassion, His power, His authority, God on earth. And we should really be impressed with Jesus. Well, this class is going to, was the hardest one for me to decide. Um, I, I have like a series of eight of these. And which one to do the last one? That was kind of hard for me to decide. Um, I thought about the bent-over woman. I really like that story because there's a lot of stuff there about that bent-over woman. And when you read that story about the bent-over woman, there's really two people that have been over. One was the woman and one's a synagogue official. Jesus could help the woman, but he couldn't do anything for a synagogue official. And one of the things that comes out of that passage is so neat. It says that Jesus saw her. And I was always stuck with me. I've always wondered how many, how many people as she came into that synagogue saw her, but they didn't see her. And the Bible says in that story, she had that disease for 18 years. And where was she? In the synagogue to worship Jesus. Or, and, or to worship God. She didn't know Jesus was going to be there that day. And it just happened to be there. And that's an impressive story. I mean, I think some of us, you know, we get, we get something that's not going right in our lives and about a week or a month of praying and we're about ready to hang it up. She had that for 18 years. That's a, that's a great story. And I thought about doing that. There, there is a miracle that's found in all four Gospels outside of the resurrection stuff. You, you, get at the, you get at the end of Jesus' life, the crucifixion, the resurrection. That's in all four Gospels. But aside from that, there's one other miracle that's in all four Gospels. Do you know what that is? The, the miraculous feeding. Of feeding of the 5,000. And that's a neat story. You, you think of all the miracles. Why would that one be in all four Gospels? And when you go through that and start peeling the layers, you realize most miracles were done on one or two people and the people saw it. In that miracle, everybody participated. And in Matthew's account, it said there's 5,000 not counting the women and the children. Mm -hmm. So there could have either been 15, 20,000 people. And then when you read how Mark writes this story, it's like it's the longest lasting miracle. Because the food didn't come down to everybody, it came down and the disciples had to. Imagine being in a restaurant with 15,000 people and you got 12 waiters. That's going to take a little while, isn't it? And so when you read it that way, that's one of the longest lasting miracles. And that's a cool story. That's a cool story. And I thought about that one. I really like that one. But I decided to talk about the Syrophoenician woman. There are some neat things there. And so her story is found both in Mark 7 and in Matthew. So I thought we'll just we'll read both accounts, Matthew and we'll start with Mark, Mark 7, then we'll flip over to Matthew. And once again, there are layers. And I want you to see these layers as we kind of talk about that. So those are kind of the ideas. And, and, you know, later on you can kind of do this yourself. You just grab one of these stories and you just look at it, look at it in all the other gospel accounts, and just start looking at the words, put yourself there, start asking yourself questions, and all of a sudden all these light bulbs come on. I've never seen that before. It's always been in your Bible. It's not like it just came in there last night. It's been there, but you just never saw it. 
And then what that does, that, that just makes your faith grow. I mean, it's like, wow, look at that. And that's kind of impressive about that. Okay? Well, let's start with, as we do with a prayer, and then we'll get started. Holy Father, we're thankful for this new day. What a blessing <coughs> it is. We're thankful for your love for us, Father. And as we open your word and see your son, Father, help it to touch our hearts. Help us to be your people as you want us to be. Bless us this day, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Mark chapter 7, and starts in verse 24. And we'll read down to verse 30. Then we'll flip over real quickly to Matthew's account. Mark 7, start 24. And from there, he arose and went away into the region of Tyre. Some translations will say Tyre and Sidon. Others will just say Tyre. <clears throat> and he entered the house, and he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. You just got to pause and think about that, okay? Um, I don't know if anybody's ever seen the, the series The Chosen. I love that. I hate religious movies. I, 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 I go kicking and screaming to watch a religious movie, you know, because it, it, I always walk away thinking it's so fake, it's so... But if you get a chance to see the series called The Chosen, it's the best thing I've ever seen. And now, don't, don't put that in front of your Bible now, okay? Because it's... But it's very close in a lot of ways. And what it shows is the humanity of Jesus. And there's one scene in there where disciples are out somewhere and they're in their tents. Jesus comes back from a day of doing miracles and he's just exhausted. And he just goes into his tent and starts praying. And, and I think we don't think about the, the, the strain. Now, not, not that miracles took a lot of physical effort, but here comes another person demon-possessed. Here comes another family with problems. Here's somebody who's blind. Here's just constantly, constantly, constantly. You know, and I know I know one blind person right now. And when I was in college, I probably shouldn't say this, but when I was in college, we had a, we had a friend that was blind, and we used to go in his room and we paint his furniture. <laughs> we were mean. We were mean. <laughs> but he gets us back in another way. <clears throat> but but you think about how many blind people you read about in the Bible. It's just like all the time. And you think in your life, I may know one or two, it, it, that just doesn't happen very often. And so, so, what we're seeing here is he wanted to get away. This is not a vacation, but he would do this other times with the disciples. Get in the boat, it's time to reflect, time to keep focused, and it could not escape notice. Verse 25 of Mark 7, Mark 7, 25. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician race, and it kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. He said to her, Because of your answer, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having departed. Again, impressed that Jesus did not have to, first of all, i got to do analysis of this girl, bring her in, let me take her temperature. Let me. He never saw the girl. Never saw the girl, but he could do the miracle. And that's very impressive. Now, let's flip over to Matthew 15. Same story, just Matthew's account. Then we're going to start peeling some layers here. Matthew 15, it starts in 21. Matthew 15 and verse 21. Down to 28. Matthew 15, 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a Canaanite woman came out from that region, began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and kept asking him, saying, Send her away, for she shouted out after us. He answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <clears throat> but she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And your daughter was healed at once. Now, one of the things that, and we'll get to this in a moment, but one of the things that gets out, we, we see this, is that 
it seems like Jesus is telling her that she's a dog. And I don't know about you, but somebody tells you you're a dog, that's insulting. But she doesn't seem to be bothered by this. And that's a statement that has tripped a lot of people. I don't understand how that can be. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. So, so staying here in Matthew, let's go back up to verse 21. So as it begins, he withdraws to Tyre and Sidon. And that's where? Where's that at? So, so you got your Sea of Galilee, you got the northern part of Sea of Galilee, okay? I was just there in June. Amazing. You ever get to go? You need to go. You can. There's Sea of Galilee. There's Capernaum. So about 40 miles northwest of Capernaum is Tyre and Sidon. What country is that? Not so, not so much the name of the country, but are we still in Jewish land? No. Gentile. Gentile land. Now, why is that strategic for Jesus? He would go away to Gentile country for some rest. What would that mean? People hadn't heard of him. People hadn't heard of him. What else? Also not his people. The Jews aren't going to follow him. Jews don't go to Gentile land. So you have to worry about these critics, the Pharisees going up there and harassing him. They don't like Gentile. They won't go to Samaria. They definitely won't go to Gentile land. So, so Jesus didn't have any problem with that. So Jesus went up there and he knew I could probably get some rest here because... Those Pharisees who can't see anything straight are not going to follow me up here. And that, I think that was kind of significant as he did that. And so, behold a Canaanite woman. Now, keep your finger there. Let's go back over here to Mark. Mark 7. Mark, and if you've got one of those ribbons, you might just stick it because we're going to be flipping a little bit back and forth. But Mark, Mark 7 and verse 26 calls her a Gentile or a Greek and Syrophoenician. So we got Canaanite, Syrophoenician, Greek. What is she? <laughs> what Jewish. is she? She's not Jewish. She's not Jewish. <laughs> She's definitely not Jewish. Alright, let's let's walk through all those terms there, okay? When it uses the word Greek, that, that's her nation. She's not Jewish. She's Greek. Gentile. Okay? That's that concept. Okay? He was either Greek, pagan, or Jewish. She was Greek. Syrophoenician was her race. That's that's a combination of Phoenicia and, and Syria kind of combined. Syrophoenician. Okay? Canaanite would have been what she was at birth. Okay? By birth, she was Canaanite. She lived in Syrophoenician area. She was living in the land of the Greeks. And so, you know, it's not like, okay, she was this for until she went to college and then she became the no 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 she's all of that she's all of that and more than anything else she's just not Jewish okay she's not Jewish so she comes to Jesus verse 20 we're in Matthew now Matthew 15 crying out have mercy on me O Lord now when we think of Lord we immediately think Jesus Christ Messiah okay that's what, that, that's what comes to our mind. Lord is often used just as somebody in authority. Okay? So it's a common designation for somebody in position, a Lord. Okay? That term is even used in England when we think about the Lords and the pheasants and things like that. So, so she cries out, O Lord, but then she says, Son of David. Significant statement. Significant. Stretch it out for me. John, what, what? I think this mess, it's messianic. It's a messianic thing. She, she's calling him Messiah. The Messiah was going to come from David. Yeah. And it would be Peter who would say that Jesus is sitting on the throne of David, the seat of David. Mm -hmm. So she she got, where would she have gotten that idea? I don't know, but as a non-Jew, that is unique. That's significant, isn't it? That's significant. The, uh, in, the stuff for building David's house and Solomon's temple came from there. It did. And there has got to be a history mentioning specifically about her being the Phoenician. Yes. To tie that back into that history. There's somebody famous that was that was from Sidon. <clears throat> the Wicked Witch of the West, Jezebel. 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 <laughs> I, whenever I see Jezebel, I always think Wicked Witch of the West. You can't know I mean? <laughs> get worse than Jezebel. She was from Sidon, too. But that's just that's a long time ago. So, obviously, she has heard about him. Okay, 
We're not told how. Not just that he's a miracle worker, but that he's messianic. He's the son of David. Okay? Even though between David and now, there's been generations and generations, there's that tie to that. Now, in verse 22, what are two things that she notes? There's two things that she notes. And, and, and not the son of David. Don't, don't go there. But two, two things she notes. What, is, what does she know about her daughter? She knows she's demon-possessed. She doesn't say that she's just acting odd all of a sudden. I think my daughter has epilepsy. I think my daughter has a disease. She knew her daughter was demon-possessed. Okay? Now let's stop there for a moment. Now, see, now when we do this, see, see these layers? And when we think about demon-possession, most times in our Gospels, it's among Jewish people. Demons were going to Gentiles. Because she's Gentile. That's significant. Okay, that's interesting. And that's going to come about a little bit later when we talk about our application here. Now, another layer here we've got to talk about. Okay? What are demons? What are demons? Angels of Paul, Satan. Okay. First of all, they are living spirits. Okay? It's not mental illness. Okay? I think a lot of times people today want to classify mental illness with demon possession. It's not. It's living spirits and can come out of a person, come back in a person. Okay, so it's a living spirit. It's not somebody is schizophrenic or somebody has this, you know, some kind of mental issue. It's not a mental issue. It's a living spirit that came into a person. Okay, how could it come out? Can I get a, some sort of exorcist, some, some, somebody to, a man of God to take it out? That's what it was. It's miraculous. Miraculous. Demons went out by the man of God casting the demons out. You know, when we were in Mark uh, 5 yesterday, we had that man, and what's your name? Legion. That wasn't his name. That was the demon speaking. And the legion is 6,000 Roman soldiers. I don't know if he had 6,000 demons. I cannot imagine having that in there. But he had a whole bunch of demons. Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her. So a person could have multiple demons in there. When, when we kind of take that 32,000 foot view of demons, what are some things people possessed with demons did? I mean, this woman obviously knew that my, demon, my daughter is demon possessed. I think, I think um, yeah, here, here in verse 22, not just demon possessed, but she's cruelly demon possessed. So, so what would be the man? That's me. She had great strength. That great strength, okay. Hurt, hurt themselves. Violent. Very Violent. Okay. Hurt, hurt themselves. Hurt themselves. There's that story. Um, oh, I can't remember. I read a recollection. It's not recollecting today. But uh, <laughs> you last, son. <laughs> you last, son. I can laugh now. Give me ten years. It will come. And when those brothers are praying, oh, get the preacher right back. He says, "Yes, Lord." Yes. <laughs> Rub that lamp. It's not working something. <laughs> but there was, that, there was that man who had that boy who was demon-possessed and fall in the fire and then fall in the water. Okay? That's one of the gospel accounts. And again, so, so, so what we see is the demon took control. Now, what we do not read in our Bible, we do not read about someone going out and raping somebody because they had a demon. Mm -hmm. Why not? Harmful to others. That demon uh, would then be harming somebody else through the actions of this possession. Then, then stretch that thought a little bit more. If if I was demon possessed and a demon caused me to go out and kill somebody or rape somebody, I'm not really responsible, am I? No. It's a demon's doing that. Mm. I wouldn't do that, but the demon. So you don't really find that in the Bible. Now you do find violent, but we don't really find what that violent meant. But what we don't see is that. Well, here's a guy. And he just tore this town up. But he's not responsible because of the head of the demon. You don't read that in the Bible. What you read is that you are responsible for your actions. And so I don't see the demons leading people to sinful activity. Okay? Now, another thought here, another layer. Okay? Do we have demon possession today? No. Oh, well, how do you know that? <laughs> well, who's going to cast them out? There you go. 
To have demons, you've got to have them away. Either people are possessed and can't do anything about it, or we have to have miracles today. <clears throat> and then to have miracles today, we have to have apostles on earth who are laying their hands on people. See, it's a, it's, a, it's a deep, long connection thing. So modern writers, modern churches, <clears throat> modern theologians, they all believe that we are still possessed by demons today. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think people are Even in the Old Testament, Roger, and in Ezekiel, I believe it is, where it said that when the, basically paraphrasing, when Jesus comes, the Messiah comes, the, spirit the will demon will, will, uh, possession will, will, will perish from the land. Yeah, the, yeah it's in Zechariah. It talks about, Zechariah. talks about the, the spirit would leave. Now, what's interesting when you read about demon possession, predominantly, it's only during the gospel period just a little bit in the first parts of Acts. Why is that? It's to show God or Jesus' power over demons. More than that, to show his power over the spirit world. Okay? How do I know Jesus? I, I can see Jesus stronger than the disease. I see Jesus stronger than death. How do I know I'm, he's stronger than the devil? Cast him out. Here's somebody has legions of them. Here's somebody has seven of them. Here's somebody has a whole bunch of them. Here's a boy falling in fire, falling in water. Jesus can do that, okay? So he is, so he is greater than the devil. And, and I think, sorry, should have left that car. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's kind of that idea about that. So now, back here in Matthew chapter 15. And so the two things she knows from verse 22. The first one she knew is her daughter was demon-possessed. She knew that. The second thing she knew is what? Jesus Lord. She, no, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, she knew that. But, but what did she know about Jesus? Not the Son of David part. He could cast out demons. He cast out demons. That's why she came. She, came. she believed that Jesus could do something. Okay? And so it's that faith that's going to make a great difference as this goes on. Now, verse 23. Okay? She says this, and in verse 23... Jesus doesn't answer her a word. Okay? Now, let's, let's take a little, little side trip here with us. Okay? Sometimes that's our prayers. We pray and nothing. Okay? I pray for something to happen. Nothing. Okay? Silence is hard. Sometimes silence is harder than a no. Pray for something and it didn't happen? Okay. God didn't want me to do it. I understand that. But it's still up in the air. And I pray again. And it's still up in the air. And that's hard to deal with this. Now, what's interesting as, we, as we're going through this, Jesus seems to particularly have a passion in the heart for children. So many times when a child involved, and that happens a lot of times in the, in the Gospels, you find Jesus going. I mean, that story yesterday, it wasn't the synagogue official who was dying. It was his little girl. And Jesus goes. So here's, here's a, a, a Gentile woman. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And he doesn't say a word. And that's just kind of, why? <laughs> why, Jesus? And so we read on. And his disciples came to him and kept asking him, saying, send her away, for she's shouting out after us. Okay, so, so this woman wasn't just, you know, quiet. She was, she was pleading. Loudly she was pleading. She was really getting into us. And, and, and I love that expression there where the disciples say, she's shouting at us. No, she's not shouting to Peter. <laughs> Peter, you can't do nothing. John, you can't do nothing. She's shouting at Jesus. Okay, you guys just happen to be there. And case in point, as we mentioned yesterday, their answer to so many problems is send her away. Just send her away, and you'll get your rest, Jesus, and everything's okay. It's interesting that in Matthew 10, they had the ability to cast out demons. They did a limited commission. They did. Yeah, okay, but they went, she went straight to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But during that time, they, they could cast demons. They could away. cast out demons. They could. I don't know if that stayed with them or not. Uh, there's no indication that they're still doing miracles after that until yes. until Jesus goes to heaven. But uh, that is something. So they, they would have understood that. They did have trouble at times too because they came back and said, we tried and it didn't work. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know. Yeah. I know. It did. But there is an opportunity here to teach 
And I think that's what the Lord's doing here. I mean, I mean, we, we you know, we, we don't, you know, Jesus wasn't deceptive, never, ever, ever. But sometimes he was doing things on purpose to get the disciples. This is more about the disciples than this, this, this woman. I mean, he can take care of this demon. The demon is nothing to Jesus. I mean, it's like there's no, no miracles hard for Jesus. And I can, I can send that demon to Mars if I want to, you know. I mean, Jesus had that power. But I, there's a lesson here for you disciples. And that's why he's patiently, <coughs> what we may see, playing this little game, just, just going through this. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that little girl's going to be okay. That little girl's going to be okay because I'm going to take care of her. But y'all got to get a lesson here. <laughs> that's what he's trying to get them to see. There's something you got to see here. Okay? So, then uh, <coughs> 23, send her away. She's shouting after us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, what does that mean? Which means what? Kind of the core of the lesson he's about to teach here. Yeah, which means, sorry, woman. You, 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 you weren't born right. You're not one of us. So I'm not going to help you. That's what this seems like. That's what it seems like. That's what it seems like. In fact, um, here, let, let me share with you what's, what's some different commentators. Now, th this is modern commentators. This is their twist on this. By ignoring, excluding, and insulting this desperate woman, Christ never seems so unchristlike. Okay. Here's what someone else said. Some seem to think that Jesus took the typical Jewish attitude toward women. Um, other people say that uh, this was just a lighthearted exchange. Something that Jesus was tired and in a bad mood. <laughs> I mean, they're grabbing, they're grabbing, because the thing is, they can't figure this out because it just doesn't seem like Jesus. That second thing you said there about the typical Jewish mindset towards women. Yeah. That's an important point there. Not, not just saying that Jesus has it, but the apostles may have. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because at this time, women were viewed as second-class citizens. Yes. This woman has a lot working against her. She does. She's Syrophoenician. She's not Jewish. And she's a woman. Yeah. The apostles are probably irritated with, really irritated with this whole situation. Yeah. But yeah. Jesus yeah. is different. How many times are we reading about Jesus helping women? Yeah. Okay. How many times? Now, when somebody modern today comes today and they say, well, you know what? Jesus was sexist. The, the New Testament is putting women in cages. You don't understand the culture. Right. I mean, in the first century culture... If a woman was an eyewitness to a murder, she couldn't testify. Couldn't testify. What? what your, your, your voice doesn't count. Doesn't count. A man could divorce a woman. A woman could not divorce a man. Good. And that first. So, so. Now, 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 stretch that. I'll be with you in just a second. But stretch that in just a minute. So, when Jesus rises out of the grave, who's the first one to see him? Women. women. Which means the Bible has to be inspired. Because you would not put You would not say that in the no. first century world. No, because they'd say, well, who cares? They don't, they don't know anything in that time period. Okay? And they weren't believed either. And they said, yeah. And then they went and told the apostles, and apostles didn't believe them. Nah, women, you don't know anything. And that's, that's, that's where this, this is really kind of important. Okay. It seems significant to me here that the uh, back in Matthew chapter ten, the disciples were told when they went out, when Jesus sent them out, don't go to the Samaritans, yeah, the Gentiles, yeah. That's what not to do that. Then. That's what we call it limited. It was limited in time and limited in geography. They would only go to Jewish. So here they are now with them. Yes. Send this woman away. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We don't. We don't. We don't do this. Okay, we don't do this. And what's, what's interesting, this is a lesson about going to the Gentiles. When do the apostles finally get it? Cornelius. Yeah. 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 Then they have yeah. a big debate in Acts 15. You know, yeah. So it's, so, it's so, so let, 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 listen. And again, here's another layer. And, and see, you start thinking this way. Had Jesus done anything to Gentile people other than this woman? John chapter 4. Yeah. What was that? The woman at the well. Woman at the well. Where were, where were they? Samaria. Okay. We have that centurion servant, remember, who was, mm -hmm. who was crippled. Centurion was a Roman soldier. He was a Gentile. Okay. <clears throat> our, our little look yesterday, remember the man who had the legions? Where were they? They were in the Gentile land. That's why the demons went into the pigs. 
So Jesus has a track record of doing things with Gentile people. Mm -hmm. But this is going to be significant here. We think about that. Okay? Okay, all good? Let's keep going. So he says, uh, lost sheep of Israel, of the house of Israel, but she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Two things I want you to see there, okay? Her, her persistence, okay? Okay, Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, okay. I tried, husband. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, daughter. You know, that, you know, the doctor said no. I mean, I tried, okay? No, that, that's not the answer I'm going to accept, okay? <laughs> I know you can do this. And I'm going to, you know, I know who you are. You are the Messiah. And I, she bows, okay? Like the synagogue official yesterday, he bowed before Jesus, okay? Had Jesus been just a man, you don't bow before men, okay? There was a time when the apostles were preaching, and they bowed before them. Stand up, they said. We're just mere men. He is God on earth. And, and, and so we see this. Sometimes, verse 25, sometimes in your life, there'll be situations that come up and that will be your three-word prayer. Lord, help me. Mm -hmm. Short prayer. When you pray, you don't have to say, Lord, thank you for the weather, help the preacher, thank you for the church, the elders, my food, da 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 Sometimes your prayers are going to be, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Nehemiah chapter 13 ends by saying, Lord, remember me. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, sometimes I, I think what we do is we don't pray, we, we check off a list. Lord, we pray for the sick. We pray for the lost. Well, pray for them. <laughs> you said that, pray. You know? So sometimes that helps us. And I love that. She just said, Lord, help me. Okay? But uh, then 26, he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. All right, there's that verse. Okay? And that verse has caused a lot of people to get all upset about that. Now, th there are two common explanations here. Now, one of them is there are two different Greek words for dogs. <clears throat> one is a street dog. Another it would be like a house pet, a lap dog. Okay? Now, I, I don't like either one of those. I, I don't like that. I think, I think that's really stretching things there. Okay? I think what, what Jesus is saying here is, Mama doesn't cook meal. Dinner's ready. Calls everybody to the table. And first thing she does is take a plate and give it to the dogs. You feed the kids first. That, that's the order of things. So then if there's anything left over, you give it to the animals. Okay? And so I think Jesus here is talking about order. He's, this is not a degrading term. He's not calling her a dog. Okay? That's why she's not insulted. That's why, that's why she doesn't say, well, you know, how dare you call me a dog? You a Jew? And I'm, no, no. No. What he's saying is, when you cook food, you cook it for people first. Then you give the leftovers to something else, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, my grandma used to have uh, chickens out there. She'd open up the back door and just throw the leftovers out there and let the chickens have them, you know? So, so that, that's the explanation there. You are not one of the children. The children are the Jews. They are fed first. Now, why, now notice why he doesn't apply in there. We only feed the children. No, he didn't say that. Because that would mean you get nothing. Mm -hmm. or, or that we are better than you. It didn't say that. There's, there's a sense of order here. And so, verse 27, but she said, yes, Lord. I mean, she agrees with him. Mm -hmm. Okay? What you said is correct. We don't cook a full meal and give it to the animals first. We cook a full meal and give it to ourselves first. She understands that principle. That's what Jesus was saying. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Now, she said something significant there, didn't she? No. I'm not asking for a full meal. You are, you, are, you are so powerful. You are so almighty. A crumb is all I need. Okay, I understand, though. I understand the sense of order here. And I understand my place. But I'm not asking for to sit at the table. I'm not asking you to bring me and feed me. All I'm asking for is a crumb. And that crumb is enough to heal my daughter. You see that? Now, she was saying things that the disciples were not saying. She or was seeing things. Or couldn't even see. <laughs> no, they couldn't see. And, 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 and they had been with him all the time. And she's not. And, but she understands. She understands these concepts there. And, and, and so that, that's why I think 
when you read a lot of books about this passage, I, I really think it takes us the wrong direction. It takes us down to the idea of, of what kind of dog Jesus was talking about. And I, I, I don't think that's the direction we go here. I think Jesus is talking about there's an order. The Jewish people came first, but he didn't say first only. No, he didn't say that. Okay. He may be playing off of the idea of the proselyte Jews as well. Yeah. You know, because they were they were accepted, they but they were always second class Jews. Absolutely, absolutely. So twenty-seven, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, "O woman, your faith is great." Uh, there are just a handful of times in your Bible where you yes. read where it says Jesus marveled, mm -hmm. and marvel would be for us like wow. I mean, I come out here and look at your mouth and I go, wow. <laughs> we don't have that in Indiana. I mean, no. I see a cactus, I go, wow. <laughs> we don't have cactus in Indiana, you know. There's a lot of things in life that make us go, wow. There's not very much that made Jesus go, wow. But what made Jesus marvel was faith. And this faith he's seeing is unlike other places. I mean, he, you know, he would sometimes say you know, to his own disciples, you don't have faith. At least... If I remember right, three, maybe four times in the Gospels, particularly Matthew, he would tell his disciples, O ye of little faith. Where is your faith? And here comes this woman, and the disciples are saying, send her away. We want her around her. Jesus saying, I'm feeding Israel first. She bows. She's insistent. I know you can do this. All I want is a crumb. Jesus said, what incredible faith. That's what impresses Jesus. And that's what moved him about that. And so, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And the daughter was healed at once. Even before the woman got back home, the yeah, daughter was healed. Just like that. Isn't that a great, great lesson? And what's interesting is that feedback, that that, that, that happened, made its way back to the point where the Apostle Matthew recording here saying, it happened. It happened. It happened. It happened. <laughs> now, now for, for the apostles, what would have been, what have been some takeaways from the apostles here? If you were one of the twelve and you saw this, what are some things that Jesus is trying to get you to see? Women are important. Absolutely. Women are important. Not only that, let's take another layer here. All people are important. All people. People not of our race, people not of our nationality, people not of Israel. They too are important. She had a demon, not because she did anything wrong. Demons just did those things. And I can do that. I can do miracles upon anybody. If I have all authority in heaven and earth, it's not just in Israel. It's just not among Jews. It's among any place, anybody. And that should have been a takeaway. A takeaway from them too is... We shouldn't, we shouldn't have said send her away. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't the right thing to do. They should have learned a lesson there. Okay, We are sending and Jesus is inviting. How opposite we are. And I think later on as they go into all the world, they will start understanding. Okay? I don't care what your past is. I don't care how ugly it's been. What baggage you're carrying. I don't care who you are. God wants you. God wants you. And to bring that in there. Okay, we got we got several here. Let me just kind of go around. Go ahead. God is moved by faith. He responds <clears throat> to our faith. Yes, yes, yes. Now, did she know the books of the Old Testament? Doubt it. <laughs> doubt it. Had she read the Old Testament? I doubt it. I doubt it. But she believed in God. She believed in God. Okay. Sometimes I think we, we, we get this idea that before you can become a Christian, you, you got to be able to tell me the apostles in order, you got to know the books of the New Testament. Oh, all I know is that God died for me. God loves me. That's great. Faith. Okay? Okay. And helping the apostles understand what faith really is. Yes. 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 And, and, stretch that out. So it's all these ways we stretch them a little bit. And, we're not the owners of faith. We're not the only people who have faith. Now, put that over here to 2021. Okay? Up in heaven, God does not have an American flag on his pickup. Okay? okay? We sometimes think he does. Okay? God is our God. No, he's not. 
Okay? He doesn't belong to us. We belong to him. Okay? There is no flag up in heaven. The banner is across from Jesus. And so, now, this, this is particularly true. I know, I know you've been overseas. I've been overseas. So one of the mistakes when preachers go overseas is to try to make them Americans. And then, and they try, they try to take worship as we do it in America. And you can't do that. You look at the cultures. When I went to India several years ago, um, not only do women sit on one side, men sit on the other side, but everybody takes their shoes off outside. They do not stack them up. There's a mountain shoes. It's like, good luck finding your shoes after that. Okay? They do the Lord's Supper different than we do it. They do the Lord's Supper, but it's different than we do it. How they do their collection is different than how we do collection. Now, when we go over there and say, no, 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 this is how... No, you don't. You, don't. you preach the gospel. And allow that to fit in their culture and their way. For, for Americans to go over there and I say, no, you know what would be better with, if your men and women sat together? Uh, I, I, would, I would blow up over there. You can't do that. So, so we have to understand that God is the God of all people. And these apostles, okay, Jesus, he, he, you know, his calendar's running. He knows. A year, year and a half from now, I'm going to be out of here. I'm going to be back up in heaven. These guys are going to go into all the world. And when you remember this, there was no B team for the apostles. He didn't say, I'm going to sit you guys down and bring up the JVs. There was no JVs. This is it. So you guys have to get this, that you're going to go to non-Jewish people. You're going to be dealing with people that are not like you. Different cultures, different backgrounds, different stories and histories. And you're going to take this gospel and preach it to every single person. So don't be sending these people away. Okay? There were multiple examples of people who said this same phrase. Son of David, have mercy on me. Yes. And there was two blind men in Matthew. <clears throat> another account is another single blind man in Matthew. Yes. And all of them are asking for healing. Yeah. All of them are asking for this for this merciful, mercy. you know, yes. approach from Jesus. <clears throat> and the and the disciples are given multiple opportunities to respond positively to this. And at least in this case, they respond negatively by telling her to go away. With the blind man, in a bunch of other cases, they do yeah. the same exact thing. Yeah. So it's they're they're sort of being given like chance after chance after chance to see Jesus work as the great physician, but they just can't seem to grab onto that mission and, 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 and hang on. And sometimes we we get the idea that mercy is is only dealing with the idea of forgiveness, but it's the idea of helping somebody. Have, when she said, have mercy on me, what does she want? I want that demon to leave my daughter. That's what I want. Blind man says, have mercy on me. What does he want? I want to see. And so, so you, know, you know, the word mercy is a broad word that involves mm -hmm. care and help. It does involve forgiveness as we think about that. You know, Roger, something uh, mentioned blindness, <clears throat> at least to my knowledge, I may have missed it. Uh, there's never in the Old Testament anywhere in any book one person ever cured a blindness. Until Jesus comes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the prophet said. And and we don't really read about demons in the Old Testament. <clears throat> King Saul, you know, he had his little issue. King Saul was nuts, I think. I think he was just crazy. Yeah. 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 But and God get, and God sent a spirit upon him. But I don't I don't know if that was a demon. I don't I wouldn't say that. Demons seem to be the time period of Jesus for a reason for him to cast him out. Okay, now, how is it that this woman from that region and Jesus got to be there? He could have gone somewhere else. Instead of going up to Tyre, 40 miles away, really far, that's a long journey when you're walking. Mm -hmm. 40 miles away to go up there, he could have gone east, could have gone west. Was it just perchance he was there and at that town, that daughter was demon? No, no perchance. No Confidential. It was. It's all worked out, all by God's plan, and, and to see that. Now, what what's the lesson? I'm sorry. So, um, she was yelling out that she wanted help, and I think Jesus didn't answer so he could see what the apostles would answer. Uh -huh. And he, he wanted to see their response to it, and, and she was actually showing faith already. Yeah. And he knew it, and he wanted to see if they would pick up on it. and. And their answer was, well, this is not a workable situation. No, no, we, 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 we don't change this. Your kind's not working. And then he here. lets her just, just 
play her faith even further. And then I think his, his very demonstrative answer at the end was meant as much for them as it was for her. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Yeah, oh woman, your faith is great. And we could almost, we, we'd almost see in parentheses, and apostles, how about you all? <laughs> Do I need to say it? I've said it, tell me too. Oh, ye little faith. Now, great lesson. It's in our Bible. When God wrote the Bible, he didn't say, I want to write a book that's 400 pages, so I'm going to put in all these stories. Every word's in there for a reason. Every purpose. There's no filler in here, okay? So, what's a takeaway from us. We've been talking about the apostles not getting this, all that. So this story is in our Bible. Here we are in 2021. What should I get from this story? What's the lesson? Take my problems to the Lord. Absolutely, number one. Take my problems to the Lord. And Lord help me. Lord help me. Okay. So, think of all those times that those people who did say Son of David, when the Jews said Son of David, they thought political leader who's going to change my political station. We want to take Jesus and change what we don't like about yeah. our political situation. That's not what Jesus was there for. He was there to change people. When she said Son of David, I don't think she, she might have had that, that Jewish concept that here comes our deliverance from Rome. That's how the Jews saw it, you know. Here, 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 here comes the Messiah. He's going to be on a white horse. We're going to have troops and banners. And we're going to walk, walk all the way to Rome and kick Caesar off the throne. We're going to take over. It'll be like David's days. Uh, I don't know if this woman would have thought. She's going to care less about that. Yeah, because that's not going to do anything for me. You know? I'm, I'm in the wrong country again. You know. She saw the true nature of the, of the Messiah. Absolutely. We know that they knew something about the religion, though. We consider the woman at the well, yes. the Samaritan woman. Yes. She, she knew about it. You people worship this way. Right. So they, they understood. Rahab, you know, they, they had heard what the Lord had done. So word was getting out. Yes. And, and especially, you know, you know, like at the end of yesterday's lesson, when, when that 12-year-old girl was raised from the dead, Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Well... <laughs> How can he not tell that your little girl was dead and now she's alive? I mean, you know, keep that quiet. That's not going to happen. And then there was the demon-possessed guy. Remember, he was in Gentile land. And what did Jesus say? Go tell your people. And maybe that got up there. I don't know. I think we can often be as blind as the disciples were. We tend to prejudge people and say, yeah. You're not worthy, and we. Yeah. But they're just as blind or hard-hearted. You know that they have sin in their lives, and they, they may have the faith, as this woman did, but we don't. Aren't open she, to that. she was not like them. And sometimes we want everyone to be like me. Mm -hmm. I want every person to look like me, be like me, and we're out there converting. They're not going to be like me, because that's the world today. And the question is going to be, how do I respond to that? Am I going to wrinkle my nose and say, oh, look at you. What's wrong with you? Don't you know how to comb your hair? Why do you, why do you get purple on your hair? Why do I know? You know, remember that lesson last night? What is that to you? Follow me. Yeah. You know, mind your own business. Okay. And now, now here's the story. Um, when I first moved to where I was at, one of our teenagers one Sunday was serving the Lord's Supper and he was wearing flip-flops. And one of our older widows came up to me and she said, Roger, Roger, what do you think about that? I said, well, let's be honest. His shoes are more like Jesus than my shoes. That's <laughs> true. I said, he could be behind the building putting graffiti on the wall or smoking dope. He's here serving the Lord. And you know what? God bless him. It was not the answer she wanted. <laughs> she wanted the preacher to go tell him to change the shoes. And I said, no, I'm not going to. You know? And so he wore them again. And I went up to her and I said, he's got his Jesus shoes on. <laughs> and I just kind of toned her down a little bit, you know. All right, let's breathe. It's okay. But we have to do that. We have to understand that. We live in a culture that loves to tattoo. And... I may not like that, I may not agree with that, but that's our culture. If we're up there converting, that's going to happen. 
and somebody hands you that Lord's Supper, it has tattoos on it, how's it going to deal with you? Let me show you a passage. And, then, and th this really opened my eyes. Open the book of Galatians. <clears throat> Galatians, chapter 3. Paul goes through these different cultural things. And verse 27-28. Galatians 3, 27-28. It says, For all of you who are baptized in Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. 28 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man, male nor female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, what we're not told in our Bibles, and maybe there's a reason for that, but we're not told the logistics of how they worship. Okay? And what I mean by the logistics, did someone get up and start with a prayer? Did they have two songs? How did they pass the Lord's Supper? Well, we don't know the how they did those things. We know they had the Lord's Supper. We know they sang, but the logistic part we don't know. Now plug it into this verse. Imagine the way we worship and plug it in this verse. Okay? Imagine a Jewish person. I say Mitch is Jewish. Now is a Christian. I've been a Gentile all my life. Here Sunday morning, I'm handing him the Lord's Supper. That Gentile guy. What do you do that? Now, look at the next one. Imagine a master serving his own slave, the Lord's Supper. Knowing that <coughs> single services are over, that slave is going to go home and feed me first and take care of me. You talk about cultural differences. Paul's saying that passage, we are all one. I don't like the expression black churches or white churches in America. We don't have congregations. We invite everybody. And anytime somebody says, oh, you'd be better somewhere else, we've got to hit the brakes and say, we better look in our Bibles. Okay? We better look at this story. That's something I think the disciples would have said, is that um, we don't do that, you kind of people. And that, that, that is just wrong as that could be. Now, there's another lesson here about order. I came to do the house of Israel first. God always has order. There's order in worship, there's order in a family, there's order in the world, there's order in the Bible. Now, one of the places we are, and I was talking to Sean about this the other day, one of the things we're at to today in our culture is when people outside of our fellowship look at the Bible, they think it's very dated and cultural. And so the reason why women didn't preach was because women didn't do anything back then. Today they do. So we need to get up with that and allow women preachers, women in the leadership. That's huge, not, not in denominational worlds, that is huge within the Church of Christ today. The largest Church of Christ in Dallas, very institutional church, female preacher announced she's getting married to her lesbian lover. No, no, no. no. Yes, this is taking place within the Church of Christ. Now, when somebody says that to you, well, this is just culture. And the reason why they didn't have women preachers was because women didn't would never have done things like that. We women do that. We have a woman vice president today in our country. So why can't if the culture changes? Shouldn't we have women in the pulpit? How would you answer that? Scripture doesn't change. Okay. Scripture doesn't change. And then when someone wants to throw the culture ball at you, say, which culture are you going to use? American culture hasn't always been this way. Back in the 1950s, it wasn't this way. Culture changes. So that means your Bible is always changing. Or are we going to use American culture, or are we going to use Iran culture? We'll talk about women in Iran, okay? Okay? They have no Yeah. And so if you start going down the road of culture, then you're going to say, well, the Bible in America is going to read different than the Bible in Iran. And the Bible in Iran is going to read different than the Bible in Africa. And what you do is you have the Bible following culture, not culture following the Bible. So that is a very, very common thought today. It's, it's very common among 20 and 30-year-olds, even within the Church of the Christ, is that we are very tradition-oriented, and we need to open up to culture because culture has changed. And the answer to that is the Bible never changes, and which culture are you going to follow? Because the culture today won't be that culture 10 years from now. I, when I first started preaching, I started, first started preaching in 1980, doing this for 41 years, 
Never, ever, never, ever, ever did I mention sermons gender, gender changing. No one even thought that. You know? Some guy says, I think I feel like a woman, and we say, You must have fallen off a truck. <laughs> dumb as a brick. You know? I mean, we, 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 no one even thought those thoughts. Today, oh yeah. Oh, it's very common. Very common. There was homosexuality, there's homosexuality in the Bible. But when I first started preaching, same-sex marriage, uh, no, no one ever said that. So, so what I'm saying is just in the lifetime of my preaching, culture has changed. Now you add another 40 years from now, where are we going to be? I think somebody's going to say, I know I'm a male. I know I look male, but I really feel like I'm a dog. <laughs> whatever. Whatever. Or I feel like I'm a tree. You know? <laughs> whatever. You know? I mean, now, <coughs> if it goes that way... <coughs> You're going to find people and churches following that because they follow culture. Um, I want to marry myself. Well, good. Just wait till you have a divorce. <laughs> Split that property up, okay? <laughs> okay? And so, and so, you know, culture, the point I'm making is culture is always fluid. It's always moving. The Bible is established. The Bible today is the Bible that your grandparents read. It's a Bible that Abraham would have had in the Old Testament and Paul would have had. It doesn't change. No matter what culture does, it doesn't change. And so, when we think about this passage, there's a sense of order. We have to appreciate that. I was just going to say that Jesus knows that these words to her are going to be interpreted 2,000 years later in a certain way. Yes. He knows we're all going to be sitting around trying to figure out what translation yes. of dog this is referring to. Yes. Just like in John 6, he knows exactly that everyone is going to be sitting around trying to figure out what on earth it means to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Yes. He is purposefully saying the things that he's saying, knowing the reaction that we are all going to have to it. And he's doing that so that we follow him and not ourselves. And that, that's, that was the point in John 6, right? Yes. You know, where else are you going to go? Are you going to leave me too? Yeah. You know, where else are we going to go? And, and if we're not willing to, you know, kind of stand at the crossroads of verses like this yeah. and follow him, then I think we've made our decision. I think that's right. So that's about everything I know. When uh, you talked about not getting an answer to your prayer, in this passage, it might tell us that that's a time to beware, be careful, because Jesus might just be checking your faith to see what you're going to do when you don't get an answer. For How important is it? Okay, so she goes to Jesus, he doesn't say anything. Okay. I'll go home. No, she didn't go home. She bows down before him. She begs some more. So, you pray, you know, you know our, our thing today is we say prayer at night and in the morning with a coffee we want the prayer answered. Well, it doesn't happen that time. Right? Sometimes it's a long time. And so so are we persistent? Are we going to hang in there? Or are we just say, well, I tried. I prayed one time and nothing happened. Well, if it really means something to you, keep praying. Years, years ago, when I was in Indianapolis, I taught a class of prayer. And one of the deacons came up to me afterwards and said, I got a problem. But I didn't want to ask in class. Okay. He said, I'm a yard fanatic. I am too. He said, he said, my yard has to look like a golf course. He said, when I go to sleep at night, I have to see dandelions. <laughs> he said, is it wrong for me to pray to God about my yard? <laughs> I'm thinking about this. I said, no, I said, no, listen. Does it bother you? He says, yes. I said, take it to the Lord. If it's too insignificant to let it bother God, then don't let it bother you. And that's what I've told people all my life. If, if, if it bothers you, then pray. If you think, I don't want to bother God with that, then don't you be bothered with it. And just let it go. Okay, we had somebody else's hands up. What you guys just said a little while ago is a commentary on Matthew 7.7. 7. Seek, ask, knock. Yes. And that's not just one-time deal. That no. is a continuous seek after, a continuous asking for, and a continuous knocking on God's door. Yes. Matthew 6, also, seek ye first. There's an order there. It doesn't just say seek the kingdom. 
Come to me when you got time. Seek it first. That's very important. All right, any other thoughts? I enjoyed this very much. And I'm glad we could do this. I think this is just a good thing. I hope from this you can do it in your own way. You know, just, just kind of start looking at some things and and you know, you could have read that passage today in about two minutes and say, okay, cool. Jesus cast out the demon, very good. But look how long we've talked about an hour already. And we just see layers and layers and layers. And that's how the gospels are. And the more you do that, the more you say, Wow, how impressive God is. How far away I am sometimes. I'm sometimes so much like the apostles. I wouldn't think I'm, I'm better than the apostles, but sometimes I'm standing right with them, and I don't know what I'm doing half the time. But how patient God is, and you just see these powerful, powerful lessons. So let's end with a prayer. And shall, shall we do say the prayer for us? Holy Father, thank you for this time we've had to study your word. Thank you for Brother Roger and the wonderful job he's done all week, preaching and teaching from the scriptures. We pray, Father, that you will bless us to be safe today. Keep us in your care. We pray that you'll bless us to be able to gather tonight to worship again and to hear more good Bible preaching. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 George,